Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting you, to you today from the Edmond, Oklahoma campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College. You can hear our shows anytime at kpcg.fm or in the Edmond local area on 101.3 FM. We've been talking on this show recently about God's true church and its 2,000-year battle against a great false church. The last couple shows mainly covered the first era of seven church eras, the Ephesus era, and its fight against the leader of that false church, Simon Magus. Simon wanted the power of God's Holy Spirit not to serve God and do his work, but to gain a following for himself and to deceive even more people. Simon Magus was empowered by the devil. He was he was ruled by Satan's spirit. And so he really wanted to crush God's church. He went about this very quickly. He became well known in Rome in the 40s AD and basically worked very hard to try to get state backing so that anyone who didn't agree with his false teachings would be persecuted, would be killed. Now, going into the second era of God's church, the Smyrna era, the church was still under attack. These false ministers of Simon Magus had infiltrated the church. They were spreading these lawless doctrines, saying that God's law is done away, that you can just behave however you want to, and God doesn't care. They were talking about doing away with the Sabbath and the holy days. They, they preached the false Trinity doctrine that really does cut off the God family vision. And basically the apostle John all the way up until his death at the turn of the first century around 100 AD was fighting against this false movement. Once he died, that was the end of an era, literally the end of the Ephesus era of God's church. After that came the Smyrna era, and this is where it's described, Revelation chapter 2. And we'll just make some comments as we go along here, starting in verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, the town of Smyrna was part of a mail route in Asia Minor. And this town actually literally did go into ruin and then was rebuilt. It was dead and then it was alive. To this day, that city lives. It's now called Izmir, Turkey. The same can be said of the church members at this time. They were persecuted to the point of death, but a lot of them scattered and were able to survive. Smyrna is related to the word myrrh, which is an herb or a spice that is sweet smelling, but has a bitter taste. This is very similar to the way that the little book is described in Revelation. 
this little book, which turned out to be Malachi's message. You can read that book for free at thetrumpet.com. When God revealed Malachi's message to Mr. Gerald Flurry in the late 1980s, it was a very sweet message because it revealed where God was still working despite the rebellion in the worldwide church of God after the death of Herbert W. Armstrong in 1986. It was a sweet message. It finally gave loyal church members some clarity where they could turn. But at the same time, it was a very bitter message because there was this reality of 95% of the members, 99% of the ministers turning away. It was a sweet message, but it was also a bitter message. You see the connection between this Smyrna era of God's church and the sixth era of God's church, the Philadelphia era, which lives on today in the sixth and final way to see an era as the loyal Philadelphia remnant. These two eras are very much connected out of the seven church eras. Jesus Christ only doesn't correct two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia. These two eras just continue to fight until the very end. Now these eras did end, but they didn't end with division and rebellion like the other ones. Philadelphia transitioned into the Laodicean era where most of the church is now spiritually asleep. But like I said, there's still a loyal Philadelphia remnant doing God's work in the Philadelphia church of God to this very day. The PCG sponsors KPCG, this radio station. And this is the one true church. Revelation two, verse nine. I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The Smyrna brethren were known by everyone around them as being very poor. Physically, they had nothing, but God says they were rich. They were spiritually rich. They had so much faith, so much love. They were fired up to do God's work. What an incredible example for us. Notice here, Revelation 2 verse 9 also talks about the synagogue of Satan. You can see more of that in Revelation 3 verse 9, talking about a synagogue of Satan within God's church during the Philadelphia era. There were rebels within God's church under Mr. Armstrong who remained undercover until he died. And then they came out in the open. They destroyed all church doctrines. They destroyed the work. So heading into the Smyrna era, there was also a synagogue of Satan. There were rebels within the church that the apostle John was trying to fight off while he was in prison. Diotrephes is a main example. You can see him in third John verses nine and 10. He was casting the real believers out of God's church. You see, sometimes the true believers have to leave the church if the church is going off track, or in this case, they were thrown out of the church. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that, that you may be tried. 
and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be you faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. So that's Revelation 2, verses 10 and 11. This shows here that the devil was the one casting the brethren into prison or trying them or putting them to death. He is the one behind all persecution of God's people throughout the ages. Yes, he uses human beings under his sway and influence, but it's ultimately Satan's fault. He is the one persecuting the people. The blame has to be put squarely on him most of all. But it says here, do not fear. Yes, some people will try to kill you. Thankfully, today we haven't experienced too much of that yet and probably won't have to, the vast majority of people. But look at what they had to go through back then. What is it really, though, if a human being can kill you and end your physical life? How much does that really matter when that's not even permanent? When the very next waking moment, it will be as if you never died. You're not conscious during death. You don't know what's going on. It's just that the lights go out and then it's like you woke up again the next morning and you're alive again, and you're getting a second chance to live, either physically to finally know God for the first time, or spiritually because you already obeyed God and did his work in this physical life. The first death is not a lasting death. It will be defeated. Death will end for all time. That is about to happen. People will not have to go through that anymore at some point. They will have a chance to live a full physical life, choose God's way, and be converted into spirit-born sons of God, members of the God family, at the end of life, if they chose to obey. Death is going to end. It's the last enemy to be defeated, 1 Corinthians 15. Here in Revelation 2, verse 10, it talks about the Smyrna era being persecuted and having tribulation 10 days. If you take the day for a year principle, this is referring primarily to a decade-long severe persecution of the Smyrna brethren from 325 to around 335 AD. The emperor, the Roman emperor Constantine, from this point, the, the Nicene Council in 325, where he mandated the Trinity doctrine all the way up until just before his death in 337 AD, really ramped up persecution against Christians. There were true Christians, often confused with false Christians. They were lumped in as these supposed Jews. But you have to remember the Jews of Christ's day and after that were drawing on the traditions of the Old Testament where God led the nation of Israel and later the nations of Israel and Judah after that kingdom divided. And these peoples often rebelled. They often twisted God's law and his, his ways. 
They didn't always obey God perfectly. By the time Christ was around, they were pretty far off track. But yes, in some ways, they still kept the right dates for the most part. They still obeyed or, or observed the Sabbath day. But Christ had to rebuke the Jews a lot, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were off track. God's church is not a Jewish church. Now, traditional Christians might think of us as somewhat Jewish, but if we went to talk to the Jews, they would think of us as more like the rest of those Christians. We don't fit in any of those groups. But of course, the great false church was out to attack and destroy anyone who disagreed with them at all. That included the true Christians. That included plenty of false Christians as well. The Jews, for example, kept the 15th day of the first month as the Passover instead of the 14th day. They were off track in that way, as well as making the Sabbath a burden to keep with hundreds of uh, outdated or, or just manufactured laws. That was not true religion. Again, though, the, ch- the false church attacked anyone who didn't agree. After this Nicene Council in 325, anyone who disagreed with the Trinity would be put to death. We'll go back a little bit in the history, though. Again, the Apostle John died around 100 AD. Following him was Polycarp. He disagreed with the church at Rome regarding the Passover, and he was burned to death. He was burned alive at the stake. Put yourself in that situation. The panic that must have been going through his mind as he was walked to the stake and tied to it as the flames started. Just a horrifying experience. And then probably about a minute of severe, unimaginable pain and then death. And to this day, he rests in the grave and he awaits the second coming of Jesus Christ. But think of all the chances you in that situation would have had to just pretend like you agreed with the abolition of the Passover. This observance, this solemn observance every year, commemorating the beating and death of our Savior to pay for all of our sins. If all you had to do was just say for one second, I agree with you, I reject this day, would you do it? Would you, to escape being burned alive, reject God's truth? Polycarp didn't. Just makes me think of the regular everyday experiences in life where we do go through pain, we experience discomfort from hard exercise, for example. How easy is it to quit during something as simple relatively as that? As easy relatively as that? Nothing near being burned alive. So Polycarp went on from about 100 AD to around 150. This was during the lost century of the church. Between AD 50 and 150 or around there, Mr. Armstrong also 
says it was maybe 70 to 170 AD, where the history books of the world don't really say much at all about true Christians. Maybe here and there they mention people who tried to keep the Sabbath but had plenty of other doctrines wrong. They probably, as far as the, the history textbooks pointed out, were not the true Christians at all. Plenty of people, though, would confuse the false Christians with the true Christians. Today, there are tens of thousands of different churches and denominations and sets of beliefs, and they can't all be following Christ. They can't all be God's one true church. Matthew 16, verse 18, Christ said he would build my church, not my churches. So there's only one church, one government structure, one man through whom God works at a time. One apostle over the church submitting to Jesus Christ, the real spiritual head of the church. So Polycarp was burned alive. Then you had Polycrates taking up after him, and he died at old age uh, around in the 200s A.D., and throughout this time, the people are being, the true, the true Christians and false Christians are being persecuted by the Roman Empire. For a long time, it's because true Christians and false Christians alike didn't worship the Roman gods. They didn't worship the Roman emperor as a god. So they were just put to death for it. But then again, coming to Constantine in 312 A.D., winning a battle in the name of God because he saw a vision before that battle of a burning cross in the sky. He thought he was a soldier of God. He won and, and ruled over the western part of the Roman Empire and then in 324 conquered the eastern side. So he was the ruler over the entire Roman Empire coming into 325, that Nicene Council or the Council of Nicaea where he mandated the Trinity. And throughout this time, he also established Easter instead of the Passover, which any historian or Bible scholar would admit is never written in the Bible. It's never commanded in the Bible to observe Christ's resurrection instead of his death, which Easter does. And Easter or the resurrection wasn't on Sunday anyway, which is when Easter is observed. So a lot of false doctrines put into place by Constantine, he saw the power of the false church and how much more significant that could be than just, you know, he, him calling himself a God. If he had the power of a false religion, he could be so much more effective So Constantine really was an extreme persecutor of the church. He didn't even convert to Christianity himself until on his deathbed in 337. But up until that point from 324 or even 312 on, he used false Christianity to strengthen his power. Because of this persecution, True Christians and false Christians were scattered all over Europe, into Britain, into Ireland. The true Christians, though, held fast. They did not give in 
to the pressure. Because of this persecution, God's truth spread to new regions. But of course, the Catholic church followed the true church and persecuted them there as well. Ireland was a true Christian stronghold for a while until around 500, 600 AD when the Catholic church got there and stamped out the, the truth there too. And they mixed their Babylonian mystery religion, their false religion with the pagan Druid religion in Ireland. That's what the church, the false church has always done. They take up the local customs and pagan traditions and mix it in with their church to try to appeal to the local people. So what an incredible history. This is deeply enriching stuff to read. You can get a much more detailed account of all this in our free book written by Mr. Gerald Flurry, the true history of God's true church available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. Just a really uplifting study of the Smyrna era here in the chapter called Fighting to Save the Truth. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.